Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, along with Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. It is great, as always, to have you with us on our show today. We're going to visit with Tennessee coach Rick Barnes. He is heading into year number seven at Tennessee and year number 35 overall, one of the great coaches and great guys in the game. Chris, what's going on, man? Man, it's a great relief today to tell you that yesterday, Monday, September 20th, Blue Ribbon, as planned, was sent to the printer <laughs> and now it's up to them we have a good printer cjk in cincinnati and i'm excited about what they always do with the book and we'll be able to start shipping it out soon and next week we'll we'll have the um ipad version ready so uh and then a couple of weeks after that the printed version so it's always a good time of year to be done with that i love it uh, it's one of the most uh rewarding projects i've ever done or will ever do but man i can't wait to get rid of it every year <laughs> yeah you're always happy to have the whole thing done um yeah i i saw the uh the cover made its way around twitter a little bit the other day and very well received so uh, congratulations on that if you haven't seen it the cover has uh coach k on it mike shashevsky going into his final season and uh it, it's very cool to to, to see some of the response in everybody, uh, especially Duke fans, are uh, very fired up about the, the cover of Blue Ribbon this year. So looking forward to seeing the rest of the book. I will have my iPad ready to uh, download that as soon as it becomes available. Yeah, because it, you'll be you'll be the first to get it. All right. Well, that that's that's a, an honor because it's always great reading. Looking forward to that. Chris, you have your uh, Blue Ribbon Top 25 out there. Give uh, Do we want to give people a quick preview or just make them read the book? How, how do we want to handle this? No, no, absolutely. We, we ran uh, – we released it last week in conjunction with the cover and it was really pretty cool i mean between jay billis and duke we got four million twitter followers uh you know each tweeted out about it and uh so the last i looked uh, the story that we had on our website uh, had over nine thousand page views uh just everybody checking out our top 25 so yeah it's out there it's pretty common knowledge by now uh, I'll give it to you, give you the top 10 anyway. Gonzaga, UCLA, Kansas, Texas, and Villanova. And then after that, at number six is Michigan, Kentucky, Duke, Purdue, and Tennessee. Difficult decisions, maybe not so difficult on some of them, but but uh, give me a thought or two on this top 10 that's been put together. Yeah, I mean, I for a while there, I might have gone with UCLA number one, but Chris Smith left. Uh, uh, I don't think he got drafted, but had he stayed – I might have picked UCLA number one, but Gonzaga just always has, it seems to reload with however they do it. Lately, it's been five-star recruits, but they always take smart, uh, make smart decisions on transfers. So that was a tough decision. Texas really vaulted into the top, well, really the top 25, but our top four because of probably the best portal class ever. So, you know, you always have to take a little bit of a gamble that so many new players who were stars at their other schools will mesh together. But that's just what Chris Bird does. Sure. Uh, I think, you know, Tennessee at number 10 is probably a little higher than most people picked. And it's not just because Rick's on our show today or whatever. <laughs> uh, I think Tennessee will be a lot better than people think. I think they will be a lot better defensively. Uh before they, they had Eve Pons as a rim protector, and now they've got they've got so many fouls to give in the post now with seven footers and guys that can block shots. And 
other kids who can defend numerous positions. So I think defensively, they'll be so much better and it'll help their offense. And let's see what else, uh, you know, just looking through the whole top 25, Illinois got in after Cogburn decided to come back. Uh, Ohio state got in EJ Liddell decided to come back. So yeah. a lot of decisions, uh, Auburn dropped because of Alan Flanagan's injury. So, but they're still in there. And then I put Mississippi state in our top 25. I don't think anybody else ranked Mississippi state, but I really think they've put together a good team again through use of the portal, but, um, uh, they've got good guards. And, and now, uh, I think as solid a starting lineup just about as there is in the conference more conference changing uh since we've talked last the big 12 has done some expansion adding cincinnati ucf byu and houston they they come aboard after the departure of taxes in oklahoma to the sec uh, it's interesting you and i were talking before we went on here about memphis not being a part of the mix there but in terms of basketball you look at those schools that were uh, added to the big 12 those are some pretty nice additions some really quality programs uh, added to that league after two big departures to the sec oh i think so uh you know cincinnati is a tradition rich program if you look even back to the early 60s when they had oscar robertson uh houston just came off a final four yep and they're not going anywhere kelvin sampson's not going anywhere until he hands the reins over to his son who I think is coaching waiting there. BYU, a traditionally strong program, uh, one of the best home court advantages in college basketball. And UCF, uh, Johnny Dawkins has done a good job down there. So the surprise was the omission of Memphis. But if you look at football, I think that's the reason. Uh, it really came down to Cincinnati versus Memphis and the media markets. Cincinnati was slightly bigger at 37 yeah. than Memphis at 51. And so kind of leaves Memphis out in the cold in, in a way, but I've read a couple of different opinions and p- people uh, that I've read think they should now lean into basketball and, and really try to become as good as they can. And I mean, obviously that if you look at their recruiting class and what Penny's been able to do and hiring Larry Brown, it seems like they've already gone that route. They, they really want to be a power in basketball and, you know, they're in our preseason they're number 11 so uh some people have them ranked higher than that and in a conference move that might not get as much attention as some of the the power conferences austin p is going to leave the ovc for the atlantic sun that was announced earlier this week a move probably in part due to football there have been a couple other departures from from the ovc recently eastern kentucky and also jacksonville state but that to me that's another traditional ohio valley conference team that's leaving that league leaving me to wonder down the road, what happens to the OVC? It's kind of sad for me because I, you know, I've worked with that, that that league for a long time and have great relationships with the people there. But you know, what long term? What is the future of that conference? Yeah, that's a good question. I was a little surprised by Austin P, but it was a football decision. And as far as their one million exit fee, they, they're not going to fight that like, like Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State have. Uh, they've already raised it through private donations. They don't want to burn bridges. They've been in the league since 1960. And yeah, I, I kind of grew up with it too. When I went to ETSU, uh, we were in the OVC. So I've always had a, a fond place in my heart for the league, but it does make you wonder, especially if you look at the conference powers like Belmont and Murray state, 
what their future might be and and where they might go if they did decide to leave. I, I think we we've kind of talked about that and Missouri Valley might seem like a good yeah. fit. Uh, maybe the Southern Conference. I don't know, but uh, I hate to see that for the OVC. I, I hope they can regroup and and maybe uh, uh, swipe some schools of their own. Maybe they look at the horizon and pick somebody out of there. Chris, our, our guest will be coming up in a moment. Coach Rick Barnes, I know you've been friends with him for a long time. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, going into a seventh year at Tennessee, 35th year overall. Last year, Tennessee was 18-9 and nine and 10-7 and seven in the SEC. Lost to Oregon State in the NCAA tournament, but now kind of revamping and reloading a bit with the roster. They have a, a few guys back from last year's team, but, man, I was looking up and down at, at who all they have, and I uh, saw a lot of new faces, including a very talented freshman class they have. It's unbelievable if you think about it, and I might ask Rick this if I can remember, but in in March – they had lost four players to the portal, three players to the NBA, two assistants, and Rick is sitting there with a depleted roster and only one full-time assistant. And I remember talking to him on the phone a couple of times and just how cool, calm, and collected that he was. You know, he had to replace half his program. But, uh, you know, he just calmly – got on the phone and, and, and zoomed. And obviously there was limitations with the pandemic and, and just really reconstructed his, his program. I think he made two great hires of assistant coaches, Justin Ganey being one and Rod Clark, the other. And then they just, they, they signed two five-star big men. Uh, and then later they, they kept recruiting throughout the summer and signed two more promising kids that I think are going to be four-star players yeah a big man and another point guard. Uh, they really touched all the bases. They got themselves a, a guy out of the portal, but he's got four years of eligibility. So it was a masterful rebuild and one of the quickest I've ever seen uh, right up there this year with, with Texas and the way they rebuilt after Shaka Smart left and Chris Beard took over. Only they used the portal. Tennessee was able to get freshmen. Sure. Well, Chris, our guest is here, Tennessee coach Rick Barnes, uh, heading into his seventh year and, and 35th year overall. I don't want to make you feel old, Coach, but uh, welcome to the uh, podcast. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks. It's good to be with you guys, and I uh, hope all is well. Coach, uh, a couple things I wanted to ask you. Uh, we talked quite a bit in the spring, and something really stood out to me, what you said, and, and, and I said, hey, you know, we're, we're gentlemen of a certain age. Uh, we're getting up near that time where traditionally people might look to hang it up. And you said, I want to play on Monday night. Uh, I mean, that, you know, people thought you, you might have come to Tennessee to, I don't know, to take a golden parachute or whatever, but they don't know what drives you. And that comment right there, Monday night, that, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? It does, and Chris, I, there's no doubt that's why we do this. And uh, you know, if I ever lose the zeal to not want to go to practice every day and be around the guys, I would know that would be time to to get out of the business. But uh, I truly love coaching basketball. I love being around our guys. I love our staff. I think we've got the best basketball staff in the country, and have, we have a great administration at the University of Tennessee that I think everything's going in the right direction here. And I'm glad and blessed that I am got the opportunity to be a part of it. But uh, 
really, I mean, I get up every day still and I go to bed at night thinking about, you know, what we need to do tomorrow to get better. I get up every day looking forward to go to the gym so we can just get these guys just a little bit better each day. You told me one time that the longer you've been in coaching, the older you get, the faster you want to play. Tell me about that. And I know uh, you and coach Bob McKillop at Davidson are close and talk a lot about offense and stuff, but talk about that desire for speed as you get older. You know, I, I think we all, as we get older and I've been able to coach against some of the greatest coaches games ever seen that uh, when I was young and studied them and they were defensive minded coaches and two of them had come to mind. And I think two of the very best coach Knight and coach Smith and, at the end of their careers, both of them had started putting a great deal of emphasis on the offensive end. And, you know, their teams were capable of going, they would, they'd get 80 plus points tonight. And they both said that, you know, there's a lot of teams that can't score 80 if you don't guard them. And, uh, but with that said, I, I do think players want to play fast. I don't think they know what that means. I don't think they really truly understand the commitment. And if you're going to play that fast, it's a daily process of tempo and getting guys to understand it, then knowing full well that you're going to play against opponents that are going to try to slow you down any, any and every way they can. And But um, I do like it. I, I think we've got a team this year that's set up for it in a way that we haven't had uh, in a long time, which is exciting. But uh, with that said, you also have to have a team that understands Time, scoring situation and how do they execute and close games out. That's really important, obviously, but uh, we do want to play quick and uh, with pace, I, you know, I say fast, uh, probably a better term would be, uh, well, you do have to run fast, no doubt about it, but, but it's got to be with pace and, and knowing that you're in control of your body and being able to see what's going on and understanding what we're trying to do at a, at a high rate of speed. You know, Coach, when you talk about trying to play that tempo, how much does it help to have veteran guards like you have in Santiago Vescovi and Victor Bailey, Josiah Jordan-James, who got guys who've been around the league and kind of know what it's about and, and kind of know when to gauge to try to press it and, you know, maybe when to, to make good decisions? That, that, that's, that is important. I think that uh, I say that, but I've watched some young guys come in and can pick it up real quickly too. But sure. those three guys you mentioned, they've all improved, improved a great deal. And they understand, they understand the system that we're trying to run. They really do. And, and, you know, but getting into, and, and, and you know what, it's kind of a catch 22 because you know, one of the hardest things to guard in basketball is a guy that can just dribble, dribble, yo-yo with the ball. That's really hard to guard, but yet there's, you got to know when to do that. You got to know when to advance the ball with a pass, which gets it down there much quicker. Mm -hmm. And so there's that fine line. And I think as you do get older, you understand the two where you think pass first, dribble second. And with um, high school guys coming in, you know, they're not used to being able just to dribble around and keep the ball, but uh, getting them to do that. Then also trying to rein them back in to get them to pass the ball when guys are open. But having a veteran group that can teach younger guys is really the best teacher of all. As opposed, You know, we're going to rep it, obviously, but when those guys, coach them on the side and coach each other, that's when you can really make some improvement quickly. John Fulkerson is coming back for another year. He's been such a special player in your program, and I know last season was tough for him, but how much do you and the others around the program just enjoy having that guy around? I always sort of enjoy your interactions with him, whether it's in the media or you know stuff you see, but uh, what about him and the impact he's had on your program? 
well, you know, we love him. Uh, he's, he's been great for us. He, uh, you know, he's, he's had so much hard luck. I mean, uh, I, I, I can't, I go back and I, I go back and think about his career and, you know, he got off to a great start as a freshman. I, I will always remember the game he turned in over in Capitol Hill against North Carolina when he was just phenomenal. Then he came back home the next game and had that terrible accident where he, you know, he took a he took a charge and and really took him out for ten months where he broke his elbow, his wrist, and all that. Then he came back and last year, you know, was a year we thought, you know, finished up a great junior year, senior year coming back, and then he got hit with COVID and. Uh, if there's anything to uh, the COVID hangover, he had it. And, uh, but he finally got it going, too, at, towards the end of last year. Then he got had to play in the Florida game where he got the concussion. And if, if we could have advanced through the tournament, he would have been able to – he wouldn't have been able to play any. Right. But, uh, you know, and he and he had some uh, injuries in the offseason. He was able to get taken care of. I really do believe he's going to have his best year ever this year. And just, I'm just really knocking on wood here thinking that uh, if we can just keep him healthy. He's going to, he's going to be fine. And these guards are going to help him too. Now he's going to have some playmakers that are going to help him where he's not going to get banged around quite as much. Guys going to get him some easier shots and we'll be able to get him out in the open court some, which will help him too. Coach, we've gone this far and haven't asked you about Kennedy Chandler. Uh, you've obviously produced some of the best point guards uh, in recent years, uh, how does he stack up? And, and I know it is an easy playing point guard for you. Uh, that's a demanding position. Um, how has he done so far? Kennedy's done well, you know, we're excited, you know, he, he does some things. I mean, he, when he, when he, I mean, he, every damn practice, he'll do something that you're, gives you that wild fact. And you realize, you know, he does have so many special qualities and, better shooter than I think people think uh you know he can get the ball pretty much where he wants to get it he's got to learn his spots on the floor he's got to learn how to stay out of trouble he's got to learn to get in there and work his way out of the the jungle with all those long limbs hanging around and how can I you know get out of trouble when I get it get myself in a little bit of trouble but uh he's got a chance to be a you know just a, a special player but he, he his biggest thing Chris to start with would be He's got to get to being an elite player. You've got to get into elite conditioning, and uh, he's not there yet. But he's starting to realize. It. I mean, he came over to me after workout yesterday, and he said, "I understand what you mean about elite shape." Because he said today, I, I, "I knew I wanted to do some things, but I was too tired to finish it." And he said, "I, I got to get there." And so the fact that you know, well, think about it. Uh, this summer, he was with our you know under nineteen U.S. team, and but. It takes young guys sometimes to understand what elite conditioning is, and the fact that he knows it right now with us getting ready to start official practice in about what a week, I guess he uh, that's a good thing. But uh, he'll he'll he just got to continue to push himself. Coach, I, back in the late March, I'll never forget kind of how chill you were when you lost four kids to the portal, three to the NBA draft, and two assistants. You didn't push any panic buttons. Then you respond by getting two five-star bigs, uh, a transfer who can play with four years of eligibility, and I think two excellent uh, assistant coaches. Uh, how did you stay so calm during all that, and uh, how did you put it together really relatively quickly? 
Well, it goes back one. We, we've got a special place here. We do. We've got a place where there's a lot of people that want to be here in Knoxville and part of the University of Tennessee. And and um, but with that said, you know, we we do. I, I go back to my staff. You know, we've got a great staff, even though and I could have very well lost all three of them. As you know, Mike Schwartz, I mean, he's as qualified and ready to be a head coach as anybody in the country. Yeah. But uh, with that said, you know, we, we knew going into it. That we were that there was a chance that uh, well we could lose all three could I mean, we could have because Mike was offered the opportunity to leave but he chose to stay and and um, but we knew that Kim would have a chance to go to George Mason we pretty much knew that we knew Dave for a different jobs so we had already put things in place and and from a recruiting standpoint you know our entire staff is involved with that and we and we knew what we felt like we were going to be able to. to recruit to and recruit here. And, but um, it, it goes back to the people around you, Chris, that we just, we, we, we knew, we knew what was going to happen. I mean, we, like we knew full well that we would lose Kim and, and, uh, and Desmond to uh, East Tennessee. But, uh, and like I said, Mike early, but uh, he, he had made up his mind. He, he was going to stay and wait for a different, maybe, and, and certainly hopefully a better opportunity for him. But with that said, the recruiting was pretty much already lined up. Then, as you mentioned, we got Rod Clark and Justin Ganey. And and, and if people think that I uh, hired Justin Ganey to get Jonas to do the wrong, I never once knew his relationship with Jonas. I didn't ask him that. He never mentioned, like, hey, if you hire me, I'm going to bring a player. Because I've learned through the years watching people that hire a player for one year sometimes works great but more, more times than not it doesn't and I wanted two guys that, that come in and replace Kim and Dez I wanted a younger guy and Rod Clark who's done a terrific job and had a great rapport with their players and I wanted a guy that had the experience of a Desmond Oliver that understood uh, North Carolina and, and the surrounding areas and Justin knew that and Justin you know was recruited by Eddie Biedenbach and Eddie State would give me my first job and as I dove into uh, trying to find out as much as I could about these guys, there's nothing but great things about both of them. And we hit it all from the time he walked on campus. And, uh, and obviously Justin's relationship with Jonas, Jonas had decommitted from Marquette and that brought him here, but that wasn't the reason we hired Justin Ganey. And, uh, but uh, just excited because we're real quality people, family people, and we're going to continue with what we've got here and the way uh, they understand how we want to do things, how we want and, and so it's been a, a blessing for me, obviously, but for the rest of the staff and the way they I've already meshed is really special. Coach, before we let you go, uh, and I know you've probably been asked this a lot of times, but I, I wanted to, to ask you this uh, for a long time about Kevin Durant. You coached him at Texas. Could you have imagined when you when you're watching him back in those days what he would become? I mean, not just a good NBA player, but really one of the all time greats in basketball. I don't want people to think I'm saying it from hindsight, but I said that to people right from the time we recruited him. Uh, I actually made the comment, you know, back when we first got him, Fran Frischella called me, and we had lost pretty much like this year a great deal of guys to the NBA and the graduation. But we had a great recruiting class. I mean, his class, I think, was ranked second, third. Some of you, some people first with he, DJ Augustine, Damian James, Dexter, all that group. They they came in, but uh, – after a couple of days on campus, Fran called me and he said, well, what do you think? I said, well, I, know, I don't know about our team yet, but I do know that I've got the best player in the country. He said, you mean the best freshman? I said, no, we've got the best player in the country. And 
I made the statement to many people that I thought, and I still think this, that when Kevin's done, he'll go down as one of the you know, 10 greatest players to ever play the game. And, and his passion, his love for the game, his love for his teammates, it's unmatched. And, uh, you know, we, you talk to players today and I think what he did in the Olympics was spectacular. And just the fact that he's still so excited about wanting to do that, he didn't even waver about he's going to play in the Olympics and represent the United States. And, uh, He'll play every day, any day, wherever he can. And uh, so, I, no, I, I'm, I'm not. I, I knew from the very beginning uh, the way he approached everything. And he's a very, very unselfish person. He, uh, on the court, cares so much about his teammates. And the bottom line, all he wants to do is win. He wants to win championships, and, uh, gold medals. and and uh, But he'll go down as one of the ten best before it's in his era, certainly. But in maybe all time that uh, he may be the best in one of his – best if not the best in his era one, one of the 10 best of all time coach Barnes thank you so much for the time it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast hope we can catch up with you again down the road thank you guys for having me see you soon thanks coach it's Tennessee coach Rick Barnes joining us on our Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast uh, he was terrific I'd always wanted to ask him that about Kevin Durant because you know you, you know I'm sure as a coach you can recognize that players are going to be terrific college players and probably really good pros but I mean, Kevin Durant, he, he's right. When he's done, he, he's going to be considered one of the greatest players of all time and really, you know, one of those one of those players that changed the game a little bit, you know, the, the big guys that can get out and shoot and, and just, you know, the, the tough matchup that he is. And uh, I, I thought that was a really interesting answer that he gave uh, to that question. But uh, enjoyed our time with Coach Barnes. You know, I work at Vanderbilt, and uh, I remember last year when Vanderbilt was getting ready to play Tennessee, uh, Jerry Stackhouse said that, that Coach Barnes was one of the guys he really admired in the game you know, for a lot of different reasons, not just basketball, but just kind of the guy he is. And I, I thought that they really stuck out to me. Chris, as we finish up uh, – a notable retirement from basketball this week, J.J. Redick retiring after 15 years in the NBA, played with six teams, was drafted by Orlando. But before that, he was one of the all-time great college players. He was two-time ACC Player of the Year at Duke, a two-time consensus first-team All-American National Player of the Year in 2006. When he finished his career, he was the NCAA record holder with 457 three-pointers, 40% from three, 91% from the foul line, in the 05-06 season, he scored 964 points, which was uh, that was also close to a record. I mean, you you project that Incredible. over a career, that's pretty amazing. He averaged almost 20 points a game in college. It was like 19-9 and uh, had his number four jersey retired at Duke. So whether you love him or you hate him, you got to respect him and you got to say that that's one of the great players that, that's uh, played in the college game and had a nice pro career too. So uh, the retirement of J.J. Redick notable this week. Yeah, I mean, I – I looked up some things too. You know, he never won an NBA title. He was never on an all-star team, but uh, he played in 110 playoff games and he was in the playoffs with several teams, 13 of his 15 seasons. So I, it's not all due to him, but I think he helped usher in a new era. Obviously we've had the three point goal in basketball since the eighties, but I don't think, I don't think until, you know, Villanova, I think, started playing four guards and really shooting the threes and the Golden State Warriors, did it become kind of the, the, the most vital weapon that it is today. And, you know, certainly J.J. Redick ushered that in. I listened to his uh, retirement announcement on his podcast. By the way, he's got a great radio voice. Uh, he said, and this was very telling, 
the last seven months, as he put it, were an exercise in determining his athletic mortality. Huh. <laughs> and, you know, at, at 37, I mean, I'm a lot older than that, and I feel like I'm still just getting warmed up. But at 37, in the NBA, you're kind of an old dude. And, uh, you know, he had reached the end of the line. He's got two young children, uh, a great supportive wife. And I think he just wanted to go on and see what else is out there. And he proceeded to give thanks to a lot of people, including his AAU and high school coaches, which I thought was great. And, of course, the whole crew at Duke, Coach K, uh, Wojciechowski was there then, Collins was there then, Johnny Dawkins. And, you know, it it just speaks to that family that Coach K is, has built at Duke. And, uh, you know, I, I think J.J. Redick will be remembered long after he's gone, not necessarily for any one great thing or another that he did, but that he helped usher in a new era yeah. of the game and, I don't see it going anywhere for a while. Do you? Not the three-point no, goal. Uh, no, it's it's definitely uh, its impact on the game. It's here to stay, especially with more big guys can shoot than than ever before. And uh, yeah, definitely a, a big impact on the game. I think I, I've spent some time uh, in the last year, uh, kind of thinking about my radio mortality, and ho- hopefully, uh, <laughs> not, uh, dude, not not dude, yet uh, there time. either. <laughs> Who was the? I, I'm sorry that I don't remember his name. The Mississippi State basketball announcer. Oh, Jack Crystal? Jack, Jack Crystal. Uh, he was in his 80s when he quit. You're nowhere near that. <laughs> I'll be there he before too long. He once told me that when he was a young radio reporter, he interviewed a young Elvis Presley. And this was like in the, in the 2000s. You know, he was still working. And I thought, man, that's some longevity right there. Jack Crystal was a classic. I, I I met that guy once or twice when he was uh, doing games in Mississippi State cross paths. What a great dude! And uh, I th- he liked to have an occasional cigarette in the in the booth, from what I understand. And uh, was doing a football game, and I guess at this particular place there there was a uh, restriction on smoking in the booth. I, I don't know if it was outlawed, but it was definitely frowned upon. And uh, somebody said, "Hey, you need to go down there and tell Jack he needs to put out the cigarette." And uh, that person said, you can go down there and tell him. I'm not going to go tell that dude that. <laughs> but uh, I, I was there. I, I probably told this story before, too, that uh, we were doing football with Vanderbilt at Mississippi State, and they were having their Mississippi State Athletic Hall of Fame induction that weekend. And Jack Crystal was one of the inductees. Now, this class included, like, Will Clark and Rafael Palmero and, and Jeff Brantley, wow. I think, from those great uh, Mississippi State baseball teams uh, from the 80s. But Jack Crystal was part of that group. And at that point, he had been there, like, you know 45 years or something i'm like man what do you have to do to get into this hall of fame shouldn't you put jack crystal in there a long time ago but he was a terrific announcer i always uh enjoyed it I, I the, told, the couple times uh, that i was around him i told my i tell my students this whenever you come or bob kessling has been nice enough to pop in the class but when you ascend to play by play uh for an sec school you become a legend so uh uh, I think uh, you will attain legendary status, and and I hope you uh, you get to do that gig until you just don't want to do it anymore. Well, I appreciate that. I'm probably a long way from that, but uh, it's fun to be a part of and uh, looking forward to, to the season coming up here. Chris, congrats on getting the book done, and uh, always appreciate the time and, and effort that goes into doing our podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right, buddy. Take care. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.